Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Christian Historical Fiction Talk. You know if it's happening in the world of Christian historical fiction, we are talking about it right here. Or we are talking to the authors who are writing this great historical fiction, like we are today. Before we get to that, remember to please subscribe to Christian Historical Fiction Talk on your favorite podcasting platform so that you don't miss out on a single episode, because you don't want to do that. We have too many good guests and too many great topics lined up for you to miss out on any of it. Also, you can find Christian Historical Fiction Talk on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, So please stop over there, see what we're talking about over there, and join the conversation with us there. The show notes for today, if you would like to find out more about this author, about the book that we're going to be talking about, or if you would like a link to purchase this book, you can find all that information on my website, which is liztolsma.com. So please be sure to stop over there. It's just myname.com. And you will find all that information there and a very handy link for you to purchase a copy of this book. That's all I have. Today, we have just an extraordinary guest with us. I'm so excited to chat with her. She is a ton of fun. And I know you're going to really enjoy this. This author wrote her first story when she was a nine-year-old freckle-faced tomboy in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. She comes from a long line of oral storytellers, so weaving a good yarn just was in her genes. It wasn't, though, until she finished college and had a couple of kids and a full-time job before she really started learning about writing. So now she and her pastor husband still live in the foothills of the mountains, and she has a full-time job, but she still manages to find time to write some really wonderful, charming, fabulous books. Please help me in welcoming to the show today, Pepper Basham. Welcome to the show, Pepper. It's so great to have you with us today. Thanks so much for having me, Liz. It's a great pleasure. I have really looked forward to this little chat with you and getting to know you a little bit more and hearing a little bit more about Hope Between the Pages. Before we get to the book, though, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. I am, as you can tell from my accent, I am from the southern part of the United States, but particularly from southern Appalachia. And I am a mom of five. I'm a wife of a pastor, a speech-language pathologist by day, and a covert, not-so-covert, writer by night. I write historical and contemporary romance, and most of my books are either set in the Edwardian period of either England or America, and the contemporary time period. So I like both of those time periods. I like to write in both. I have books in all of those, and I have 15 books published at this moment, actually. Wow, congratulations. That's quite Thanks. the accomplishment. <laughs> Thank you. I love I love getting to create stories. It's been so much fun. And you don't sound all that terribly Southern, at least to me anyway. So. <laughs> I'm trying to code switch. I'm trying to code switch a little bit. If you, if you really wanted to hear me do my Appalachian natural, I can do that for you too. And you'll get the sense of Andy Griffith. So. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> 
also, your latest release is part of Barber's Doors to the Past series. It's a new series they started not that long ago. And your book, as I mentioned, is Hope Between the Pages. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Hope Between the Pages? Right. Uh, So yes, the Doors to the Past series is the new series by Barbara. This is book number two in that series. And the whole series is split time, which means it takes place in two different time periods, or I don't know, they may use three in the future. It's just the whole idea of having different time periods in the same book and the two storylines interweave with each other. So my storylines are that it takes place in 1915 Asheville, particularly at the Biltmore House or in Biltmore Village, and then contemporary time period. And the story takes place between a maid at Biltmore in 1915 who has an upstairs-downstairs romance, very nice, and then her great-granddaughter who is running the family bookshop in Biltmore Village. And that has been passed down from that earlier generation. So it's the there's two romances that happen, but the bigger story is really about legacy and about books and about how to be brave. Well, I don't know a book about books. I just don't <laughs> see how you can get much better than that, honestly. Right, and a massive manor house library as well as a bookshop. I'm like, this book is full of books all the time. <laughs> and and so it was really fun to get to kind of because I'm a book lover and a classics lover and getting to delve into bringing that to life as well as incorporating two different stories, which is the first time I've ever written a book that has two, the dual timeline. That was really interesting and challenging and all those things. But ultimately, it was a beautiful experience. So you mentioned that doing the dual time period was both challenging and interesting. In what ways was it challenging? In what ways was it interesting? challenging because for me I really needed the story to the two stories to interweave well I didn't want readers to be caught off guard so much when you switch from one time period to the other that I wanted one story to really blend in well with the other so that the reader wasn't kind of having to readjust every time but also to match them not so much match their characters but what I wanted to happen was as one thing is happening in the past, the contemporary side is finding out about it and kind of blend them that way. Now, that doesn't have to happen with every dual timeline. I know there are plenty that don't do that. But for me, that was something I really, I felt needed to happen for this story. And since it was my first dual timeline, I had no idea. I'm like, I guess that's how it works. You know, I have no idea. But for me as a reader, reading it, you know, because ultimately we are the authors, but we also are readers too. And we can write a book from an only an author's perspective, or we can write a book from both perspectives because we're ultimately writing for readers. And so I really wanted my readers to experience this as bumpy free as possible. So that, that was a challenge to make it smooth. And so the, the delightful part though was the, the surprises the surprises that I didn't even know about as an author of, oh, the historical timeline is going to happen. This is going to happen. So how can I make that be a discovery in the contemporary time period? And and how can I make these two characters both beautiful and strong women, like the two heroines that you read about, and and, and connect them 
but not make them the same character. You know, you don't want to do that, make them exactly the same. And don't you don't want to make their storylines the same, but you want to connect them. So I think that mixture of all that and the surprises and my own discoveries as an author was a fun part of it. You mentioned that the story is set at the Biltmore Estate and also at Biltmore Village. What mm-hmm. drew you to that location? <laughs> I live there. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> um, I, I live t- 10 minutes from Biltmore. So in truth, I do live close enough to it, but I'm, I'm a pass holder, which you can have at, at Biltmore and get to visit whenever you want. And so that is one thing that's always drawn me in Asheville is to Biltmore, to the the estate, to the grounds, to the gardens, to the history. So just loving that whole place has been something I've done for a long time. Never written a book there, set there until recently, but I've always loved visiting there. And it's full of history. And the, the owners of the house, the builders of the house, really loved the Appalachian culture they built into. And that was important to me because I'm Appalachian. So to see this very big discrepancy in social status, these these very wealthy people reach into the community where they had built their castle, so to speak, and, and, and embrace that community made me love them all the more, besides the fact that it's just a gorgeous place to visit and you really step back in time. So for Biltmore, that was the reason I I placed the story there and it worked out really well. There are quite a number of characters in this book, obviously, because being dual time, you have to have the hero and heroine in the past and the hero and the heroine in the contemporary side of the story. Who was your favorite out of all the characters in this book to write? As an author, how can you ask that question? (laughs) I know. It's absolutely mean. (laughs) So uh, favorite it was, a, can I, can I answer a few people and why? Sure. sure. <laughs> I loved writing Oliver, who is the historical hero, because he just was easy. He was so lovable and kind and didn't care about social boundaries. I loved writing the heroines because they were strong in different ways and stepped outside of their comfort zones to show they could be brave. And I loved my hero in a contemporary because he was unexpected. I did not see him coming the way he came. He was very unexpected. And I think that's what was neat. The little girl in the story named Vicky might be one of my favorites because, I mean, at the top of all five of those, at the top because she was just delightful and really helped bring characters together. Now, I also understand there's a villain in this story. And a lot of the comments that I read about it loved the villain. How did you feel about the villain? Did you like to write the villain? I, I do. I like to write villains, but I wouldn't love one. Not this. I mean, okay, so there are some villains I've really enjoyed reading, but these two I don't feel were complex enough to really be great villains. But there are people you dislike. So that was the good thing. I'm glad they disliked them in the point of they saw them as villains. I think they, they're meaning the mother-in-law in the historical timeline because the villain in the contemporary timeline doesn't take up a lot of airspace. But the, the villainess in the historical timeline was pretty nasty. <laughs> so I think that's the one they must mean. Uh, yes, yes. A, a woman who they love to hate, I think. 
Yes, yes, that's that will be the mother-in-law. Not to say anything bad about mother-in-laws, by the way, but this <laughs> one happened to be pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> the mother-in-law of all mother-in-laws, huh? <laughs> She's pretty up there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Now I really, really want to check this one out for sure. <laughs> What's interesting is you get hints about her throughout the whole book, but you don't really meet her till close to the end. So it's like a buildup. Okay. <laughs> now, I know that you love to write romance, particularly love to write romance. What yes. is it about the romance genre that just draws you to it? Well, I've always been somewhat of a hopeful romantic my whole life. I don't believe romance is hopeless ever. I think as a Christian, even more so, it's a hopeful romance because the perfect example of romance would be the biblical example of God's love for us and his drawing us to him and the way he has this beautiful love for us, unrelenting, unconditional, all those sorts of things. So I think just knowing that is a great thing to strive for in a human way. And the, some of the most beautiful ways we see love shown between two people is in a romantic kind of love. We see it, of course, in other ways like friendships and family and things like that. But I've always been the, the fairy tale girl. Grew up early on loving fairy tales, loving romance stories, loving to believe that that kind of sweet, powerful, strong redemptive even love could happen in a human form as well as divinely so I think that's that's the main reason why I fall in love with writing romance books and 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 love it every time I mean I love different types of romance books but I love writing them how do you create and get to know your characters because you you draw such wonderful rich deep characters how do you how do you do that Thank you for that. That's very sweet. I don't know about you as an author, but for me, it's never the same. Different characters seem to introduce themselves in different ways. And then for me as an author, I get to know them as I write them. I don't do a whole lot of plotting. I'm not a plotter. I'm more of a planner. I'm not a pantser either, but I'm, but I really is somewhere in the middle. And I think as I write them, I get to know them. I do... <laughs> about the romance thing, one of my first scenes I ever write is the first kiss between the two main characters. I'll skip ahead. I'll skip way ahead if I have to and write that first kiss. Now, why do I do that? It sounds really silly, right? Even if I change it when I really get to it, there's something about knowing that's coming and the emotions that have to take place in that moment that tells me so much about my characters so that when I go back and start writing them, I have this understanding of the future. <laughs> I am a seer and I have seen the future <laughs> of their lives. And I know what emotions I want to take place before I even get there, what characters would lead to that kind of moment. And so I think that's one way between my hero and heroine that I develop, I hope, the emotion behind them in the depth. A lot of times it's just spending time like it would be a friend to get to know them better. I go back and change stuff because halfway through the book, they may I know them a lot better than I did when I started on chapter two. And I'm sure that's true for you too. And then you're like, oh, oh, they would, this is what, this is who they are. I need to fix this because they wouldn't have said that. Anyway, but th I think that's, if that helps answer your question a little bit. It does. Yes. And you're right. I think characters do develop 
in different ways in different books. Sometimes you go in knowing your characters better than in other times, and very often they will change. They'll reveal something very surprising along the way. And yes. like, wait a minute, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to say, say that. That's right. That's right. Like Max in this story, the one who was the surprising hero, I didn't yes. even know who he was. And here he pops up in this airport, and I'm like, okay, what's next, Max? You know? <laughs> Okay, you know when that happens, it's so strange. And my non my non writer friends are always like, "You didn't know he was coming," and I was like, "No, he kind of was like, I know I did it, and I like him, and he's staying." And so <laughs> that's always funny. <laughs> it is. I I know there are people out there who think we're probably certifiably insane because we, <laughs> you know have characters just pop up and start talking to us. But I think readers who really know authors and read a lot are starting maybe to understand a little bit about how an author's <laughs> very bizarre mind works. <laughs> That's right. I think you're right. <laughs> so the historical is written in first person and the contemporary is written in third person. Why did you make that choice? Okay. So to be perfectly honest, I did that because I was talking to Alison Pittman, who wrote book number one, and she was making that decision. And I found it a challenge. I thought, oh, well, what a a neat idea to be able to do two different views. It would help the readers be able to switch back and forth easier between historical and contemporary. I don't know that that's the reason why Alison did it, but in my mind, it was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Then every time they know we've gone to first person, they'll know they're in historical. Every time it's in third person, they'll know they're in contemporary. So that's another switch for their brain to make that connection, to make it smoother, in my opinion. And it was a challenge for me as a writer to get that deep into the character's head to do first person. Now, close third and first person are so similar, except for the pronouns a lot of times. So it's not a big jump but it still was different. I didn't admit, I didn't realize how different it was going to be to come from that first person point of view. Cause I don't usually write first person. And so I, I liked it so much. I'm kind of sticking with it on some future contemporary choices, but it was really neat. And I did that again, like I said, for the transitions, but also I think to offer the readers a deeper view inside of one of the characters heads. So you mentioned that there are some other books in your future. What are you working on now? So in September, Barbara will be bringing to you guys The Mistletoe Countess, which I cannot wait to introduce to the world. And there are people who are not going to be for this book. I mean, they're just not going to be their thing. But it is hilarious. So if you loved Hope Between the Pages for its depth and its more dramatic sense, this is not the same. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Mistletoe Countess is a historical romance with humor and mystery and capital H on the humor. It's the, the character, the main character's name is Grace and she's hilarious in my opinion. And the story really is a very light story. It has some depth in it in places, some spiritual depth, some, some growth, but it's really meant to be this lighthearted, fun, like Jen Toronto kind of feel story. So that one is coming out in September. I have a little Christmas novella I'm working on, which doesn't have a title yet because I can't seem to find it. And then I have 
a book I'm working on for next year that's contemporary epistolary and a Scottish contemporary that's that takes place on the Isle of Mull, which I can't wait to keep writing about because it's been so much fun to be there. So anyway, that's kind of what's in the works right now. So you have a lot to look forward to then. Yeah, a lot of places to visit. It's very fun to be a traveler, even if you don't get to go on a plane to go there. Right. So you haven't been able to go to Scotland to research your book? Not yet. I've been to Scotland once, but not for this book. And But big news, uh, Laura France and I are doing an author reader tour to Scotland in May 2022. And we will be visiting the Isle of Mull as well as many other places. And the second book after the Isle of Mull book is actually based on our trip that we're going on in May. So next May 2022, we'll be doing an author reader tour. So I'll really get some some good experience and a second trip to Scotland can't hurt my feelings one bit. Oh, that sounds amazing. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that news with us. That's a lot of fun, a lot to look forward to. And you might just find me on the airplane with you. You never know. (laughs) You are so welcome. And getting to hang out with Laura is never a hardship. She is one of the sweetest people in the whole world. And the team that the the tour guides who are setting all this up, have just been phenomenal. They're just super people and, and very excited about this trip too. Do you have any last words for the listeners? Well, of course, thank you, Liz, for having me on today. And also, I mean, I love hearing from readers. It's one of my favorite things about being a writer is getting to engage with readers. And if you guys haven't had a chance to get to know me or reach out or read any of my books, You can check out my website at pepperdbasham.com. I'm really active on Facebook and Instagram, so you can find me there most likely. But I also have Pinterest and Twitter. I'm more engaged on Instagram and Facebook, though. And there are several groups where you can get involved with. The the Armchair Traveler is a group that Laura France and I have just talking about traveling from your armchair. So we talk about books. We talk about places, showing pictures of different places. Uh, This morning I had a tea challenge because I'm trying new teas for people. And so we do stuff like that. You can also get on one of my groups called Blame It on a Basham Book Facebook group, which is for readers who want to know what's going on. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to chat with us today. We are looking forward to reading Hope Between the Pages and everything else that you have coming up. Thank you. Well, it is just too bad that we are out of time for today with Pepper Basham. Honestly, she and I could have gone on and on talking for a whole lot longer, but we'll have to save that for another time and have her back very soon. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to find out more about Pepper or about Hope Between the Pages, or if you'd like a real handy link in order to purchase your own copy of Hope Between the Pages, please head over to my website, which is liztolsma.com. And there you will find all that information right at your fingertips. Next week, we have another fabulous author joining us to chat. And that is Kathleen Denley. She has a brand new book out. It's called Sing in the Sunlight. It's book two in the Chaparral Hearts series. And you are not going to want to miss this chat either. 
when I tell you to please subscribe and to please follow us on social media, I say that because I don't want you to miss out on any of these terrific authors that stop by the podcast. We truly have been blessed in having some fabulous guests with us, and Kathleen is no exception to that rule. So thank you so much for joining me this week as we chatted with Pepper. I do appreciate each and every one of you, my listeners, for the time that you take out to support this show. Thank you so much, and we will see you next time.